This is a BB. It's supposed to be Oh, that's shorter. better. Oh, I like that. I like my <laughs> I voice. I like that. That's nice. <laughs> hey, our voices sound real good. Hey, Sean. <clears throat> hey, Sean. Uh, <laughs> I just want to pick your brain about something. I mean, do you think I sound... Do you think, you think I sound different today? You sound... You sound like you have a cold or something. <laughs> you kind of do, too. I do have a cold. <laughs> well, <laughs> must be where I caught it, then. This is a BB. This is a joy. BB. Wait. One, three? Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Sean. Hello, Michael. I believe you've brought me here today to talk about something? Well, yeah, I want, you know, this is something that I have an interest in. Uh, I find it really fascinating. Um, something that I didn't actually realize. I also have, like, quite a bit of knowledge yeah. about just through being a nerd about it. But not an obsessive nerd, just I've definitely ingested a lot of information. So, one of my, one of the things I, I find amazing. Uh, is basically adult-oriented or mature animation. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, some of the contemporary stuff we got, I mean, we got, like, uh, Rick and Morty. Oh, yeah. Bob's Burgers. Uh, Family Guy. Um, Simpsons. Simpsons, you know. I mean, Simpsons, we're going to get into all these at some point. What I want to do is, like, just a... We'll do, like, a series of little, like, adult animation through history. Okay. Kind of thing. Great. So, I thought today, um, I mean, you can go way back with adult animation. I mean, you can go back to the Betty Boop times, and there was a lot of, like, war propaganda cartoons that were made, which had our characters, like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, in them. Yeah. And but were those considered adult, or they, I guess they were more for... They were pretty mature. Yeah. Um, there's a list of them, but they weren't, they weren't necessarily for kids. Okay. To watch. There's also a lot of cartoons that were uh, actually meant to entertain the soldiers while they were overseas, like in World War II and uh, uh, the South or the Korean War. Right. So, yeah, these were cartoons that you know, like Betty Boop you had your like, what would you call her? Like a a bar star, bar dame, uh, burlesque e kind of girl. Right. Um, who worked a cabaret. You had the you had those ones with the actually you remembered even from the movie the mask uh, that was referenced with the dog when he's like pounding the table at the bar because he sees a sex and he's whistling right 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 you know right. yeah <clears throat> I can't remember which that one was called but so I wanna I wanna skip past those a little bit because it's hard to really get anything cohesive because he had all different studios making them and I wanted to get to the 70s 1972 to be precise. And start with the animated film Fritz the Cat. Fritz the Cat. You've seen Fritz the Cat. I got really stoned off some weed cookies mm-hmm. uh, the other night to to prep for this episode because you told me to rewatch Fritz the Cat. Mm-hmm. I'd seen it years ago, but with a with a child's context, mm-hmm. a child who watched Fritz the Cat. Yeah, I watched Fritz the Cat when I was like sixteen, I think, for the first time. It was late night on Teletoon. Yeah, it was one of those things. Yeah, and it blew my mind because like this is. Ooh. Yeah. I didn't know how to feel. So I laid back and I watched <coughs> Fritz the Cat. And yes, so I'm all caught up on Fritz the Cat. And I got plenty of thoughts. Okay, so Fritz the Cat. Fritz the Cat um, created, well, the movie was d- written and directed by Ralph Bakshi. Uh, 
this was the first animated film to get a, a rating of X. It was an X-rated animated film. I mean, there there's no people characters in this. They're all uh, anthropomorphic animals. You know, yeah. there, there's cats, like Fritz the Cat, obviously. Uh, there's pigs that are basically usually the police officers yeah. in the film. Um, it's based off a R. Crumb or Robert Crumb cartoon series. Mm-hmm. Ralph Bakshi was fascinated with Fritz the Cat and with R. Crumb's work, loved the satire of things and the the political commentary that he would hide in, you know, sometimes lewd drawings and well, lewd stories. R. Crumb, his yeah. his drawings are often quite uh, pornographic as as it yeah. as it is. So basically, Crumb refused to sign a deal with Ralph Bakshi. Crumb was like excited. Ralph Bakshi actually flew out to San Francisco, showed him his uh, drawings he'd done based off of Robert Crumb's. Uh, own drawings and showed him how it could look animated right uh, and basically wooed him as much as he could uh, Robert Crumb even lent him his sketchbook a sketchbook of his drawings so that Ralph could really study more how to get these these uh, cells right so eventually they actually get some money to produce the film I believe it was Warner Brothers agreed uh, to give them $850,000 to finance this film but the thing was, they couldn't get Robert Crumb to actually sign the contract to actually be, you know, be able to use these characters. He didn't like it. Or? He just he, Robert Crumb's weird, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and he's also got a lot of cartooning friends and comic friends that are probably like, "Oh, don't do it, dude." Yeah. You know, as they're passing around a spliff, listening to Django Reinhardt records. <laughs> uh, so, basically, Ralph actually flew back out to San Francisco, stayed with uh, Robert Crumb and his wife Dana for a week trying to you know you know push these papers visiting hanging out being good buddies uh and just like so robert you just come on just sign it man why won't you <laughs> sign it and, he's like, and you know robert just like no uh, just roll another joint and we'll, we'll talk about it or i'll do it tomorrow or do it later right and eventually robert crumb actually just has to leave because he's got another thing in another city he's got to do like a signing or something uh, Ralph Bakshi leaves. He's like dismayed, but his uh, executive producer comes up to him uh, like a week later and says, "Okay, we got it. Fritz the Cat is on the go." He's like, "What? Robert Crumb signed it?" And he's like, "No. Uh, his wife Dana actually is power of attorney, and she signed it. Wow! <laughs> so that the movie could get made. Oh fuck! So I." F- I wonder if that was a source of contention between Dana and Robert. Probably. I would I'd be like, why the hell did I give you power of attorney? Oh, right, because I can't handle my own business. <laughs> and yeah. That's why I have my wife to, <laughs> to deal with things. Anyways, so film gets made. Basically, the X rating comes out. There's certain states that, like, ban it. I think California banned it. California uh, bans I it. Think, I think they did. Or they, I think a, a series of animators actually... Uh, put an ad in the paper saying this film is not welcome here kind of thing. Wow. So it offended a lot of people. It's an offensive movie. It absolutely is. So let's talk about the the movie itself. Well, it clearly is trying to be a summation or a critique of of all the different social social situations in the 1960s of that decade. It's trying to be Mm -hmm. kind of a culmination of all that. Yeah, the post-hippie days. 
the, uh, the hypocrisy of of white people trying to understand African African American plight. Yeah, and so, and I I understand where Ralph Bakshi's coming from in a lot of these things, and when and critically, it was actually received pretty good. A lot of people like who were able to ignore some of the the graphic nudity and the well literal just the boning and the animal the, orgies and yeah. the death yeah uh thought it was actually quite smart and they thought it was pointed and funny in the right ways um some of the things are said as an excuse for some of its offensiveness is that uh at least it like no one's left out when it comes to right. like it really takes it makes fun of jewish people and well, it's like it's like cop pigs team and- america yeah, you know, Team America is an offensive movie for so many reasons, but it's one of the things is it like no one's left out. Right, South Park does that so well, right? Yeah, Trey Parker, um, and those guys. They, I that's, mean, that's, that's that's what we get into. So, I think it's trying to do that. This movie, Fritz the Cat, is definitely being like, well, you know, so we're going to use our our animal character that represents uh, African American people is going to be uh, crows. Yeah, uh, and now these crows, like the way they they walk, they have a swagger. They wear colorful clothes. I mean, they look like pimps in a yeah, lot yeah. in a lot of the scenes. Um, the police officers are all played by pigs. Yeah, like, Every, everybody's kind of a walking stereotype. Yeah. of everything without actually saying they're black people or they're pigs or they're Jewish people in a way. You know, it's just like, but you know, yeah, right. It's not. It, it's like well. Clearly, like all those girls in the beginning of the movie who are, are hanging around this one guy at the this event, who's a crow, yeah. And they're like they're trying to flirt with them, but uh, well, actually they're, also kind of using like they're kind of they're all they're all trying to uh, uh, say how much they know about what he's going through and his his, his struggle and his plight. Yeah, and, uh, for being a crow. Yeah, and uh, end up end up being actually kind of derogatory. And, Absolutely. And, I mean, the whole totally, thing is they don't understand it They at don't all. get it at all. And so, you know, Fritz the Cat plays a guy who's at this protest for, he doesn't even know why. Like, he's just there for the girls. Yeah. You know, and he he's put out by the fact that the girls are hanging around with this crow, but then the crow is like, pfft, like dismisses them and is like, I'm, you know. I'm jiving out of here, basically, is what he, he... It's like that kind of lingo. Definitely ebonics yeah. spoken by uh, the crows. And then, then Fritz the Cat takes that as an opportunity to get with the girls. Like, girls, let me... Uh, yeah, he woos you know. them. And, and he's like, let me let me show you show you the way, basically. Well, that's how it moves into, like, it moves into that other aspect of the 60s, from the protest side of the 60s yeah. to to the just the drugs and the, and the rampant sex. Mm-hmm. And I, I gotta say, like the like, it's 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 insane. <laughs> I mean, that animation's not exactly super nice to uh, women. No, in any in any fucking sense of it, it's a pretty it's a pretty vulgar. I, like I, I feel like in its time, it was trying to do something, say something good, even mm-hmm. using these using these methods. But now, as it's aged, it is just it is just heinous by anybody's standards. It is not. Yeah, and, and it's hard to even. Um, it's hard to even defend it. Oh, you can't. I don't um, think you, you can look at it you know, from a cri- critical perspective and understand time and place in that perspective, but you're not going to be like taking like you're not going to be like, "Hey, you're my new girlfriend. I have this great film. Let's yeah, let's sit down. Yeah. Let's pop this DVD in and chill," because she'll leave. 
Yeah. Guaranteed she's going to leave. Um, you can't even talk to African-American people or people of other ethnicities and be like, well, you understand what he's trying to do there, right? Because what, it's just the, the white guy animator who's trying to yeah. contextualize all this. Yeah, like, it, so it's hard. If, um, now, interesting uh, to know about Ralph Bakshi, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, he grew up in Washington, D.C. Um, his parents weren't wealthy by any means and it actually ended up moving to a neighborhood called uh, Foggy Bottom. Right. So Foggy Bottom was this is like still just to put in co- uh, context uh, still the time of segregation. White people went to white schools, black people went to black schools. Yeah, okay. So he moves into a black neighborhood. He's like the only white Jewish kid on the block. But he's got tons of friends. He doesn't like according to him he like he didn't even really know about a lot of the issues because he had always been in that neighborhood. The only nearest white school was like a long ways away, and he begged his mom to send him to the black school because that's where his buddies were. That's where his friends were. Right. So I think he thinks that that gives him an insight. I don't think it takes away... I don't think it takes away his voice, but it definitely, like, if you don't really know who he is or where he comes from, you're like, fuck, you can't... You it's just looks, stop, right? On paper, <laughs> on paper, it looks pretty fucking bad. Yeah. Like, when you see that cartoon, you're like, and you have a right to go this way. Yeah. What? He's like, well, because I like black people. <laughs> but it's like, but it's a stereotype. It's yeah. Like, yeah, but everyone's stereotyped. I guess, you know, it's interesting. Some uh, the, the scene, and further to the hypocrisy of, like, the white man trying to mm-hmm. understand the African-American plate, is, like, uh, uh, Fritz, when he's playing pool with one of the crows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, and the crow likes him. Yeah, they end up becoming buddies. Well, he's saying he's saying to him, he's saying to him, yeah, I get it, man, I get it, I to- I totally get it, I get it, I understand what you guys are going through, I understand. I mean, I understand all that, man. And and then the, uh, he helps the crow get a uh, uh, sink all the all the balls on the pool table, mm-hmm. and the crow says he wants to buy him a drink. And so Fritz turns around to the bartender and right. says, calls the bartender, and says, hey boy, can I get a drink? Yeah, which completely negates the crow bartender. Said. Yeah, yeah. Which negates everything he said. It's in a Harlem bar, and apparently Bakshi went to uh, an actual Harlem bar and like just put a recorder on the table and let that. Con- oh yeah, that's actually that a really interesting part of the film, uh, interspersed through the the whole film, is little documentary uh, recorded footage that he just animates too. Yeah. So actually, actual people talking about their lives or the state of things. Right. And then he, you know, he basically puts them in and puts characters in place yeah during the film which is really i thought was a really a good way to do it totally smart device um earnest because it's just recordings of people and also takes it away from him being the voice yep you know what i mean so but that said the animation itself is a huge voice in that in that film everything he does in that regard kind of pulls that pulls that uh that that ace in the hole he had there uh, out like he yeah. can't he, he 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 wrecks himself with that i mean it's it's cool animation it certainly follows the arkham style yeah it does follow the style to a certain extent he definitely like fritz goes basically goes on an adventure seeking out i don't know some kind of enlightenment gets involved in uh some radical groups of the times yeah yeah he goes through the whole to the point that at the end, like he basically he's dying, yeah, because he's he's caught in an explosion, yeah, 
because um, he was trying to stop a bomb from going off that you know some people that he'd been hanging around with had set up and he's in the hospital dying uh, we have some female characters that the same known, ones from the beginning, known from yeah. the beginning uh, and and another woman actually oh yeah who greet him in the hospital he basically says his uh, first uh, basically the opening line that he starts off with in the beginning while he's dying in his hospital bed and apparently gets so horny that he's healed and fine. and and fine and they basically have an orgy in the hosp- hospital room so it's like you know you just it's like that it at that point it's like really <laughs> like what are you doing what are you trying to fucking say yeah but okay so that movie you know cool animation broke down a lot of barriers for adult animation in general yeah robert crumb you were you were gonna say he he didn't like it right? oh no he hated it he thought it was it, it missed the whole point of what he was trying to talk about what robert crumb was trying to message i'm sure it did it did, and like he, but he also, you know, I'm actually going to look it up here. Okay, so so Robert Crumb, I, I have a bit of a quote here. This is off of a Wikipedia. Uh, he was, they kind of underplay. They say he was dissatisfied with the film. Uh, among his criticisms, he said that he felt that uh, Skip Hinnant, who was actually the voice of Fritz, was the wrong voice of Fritz, and he had actually envisioned Bakshi himself. Oh, doing the voice, right? Which I, I mean, Fritz. I mean, I think it's probably why Ralph relates to him he is that new york you know city kid white jewish kid who's grown up university student yeah um but uh it's about the sex part so he says uh crumb later said in an interview that he felt that the film was really a reflection of ralph bakshi's confusion you know there's something real repressed about it in a way it's more twisted than my stuff it's really twisted in some kind of weird unfunny way yeah I didn't like that sex attitude in it very much. It's like real repressed horniness. He's kind of letting it out compulsively. Wow. And I think that, as, like, when I read that, I was like, yeah. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. It's like a guy who's, like, he kind of reminded me of a, I don't know if you ever read uh, anything by Philip Roth. No. He would have been a good example of a guy from that era. Sure. Uh, he's got mommy issues. There's a, it's the, the Jewish neuroses that often comes through comedy and in and, and, and spe- specifically through Philip Roth's writing. Okay. But I feel like the same way. There's something pent up. There's something like those orgies weren't sexy. No. They made, they made you like be like, oh, you know what? Maybe that fantasy mind of be having an orgy is not so cool. <laughs> you know, like this all looks pretty wrong. Maybe it's just supposed like to be it. kept in my head. <laughs> yeah. You know, you shouldn't put it out there. So, yeah, critics were pretty good about it. That movie was made for eight hundred fifty thousand uh-huh. dollars. Uh, ended up making ninety million. Wow, that's a good return. It is the still the highest uh, grossing uh, independently animated film. Huh. To so. Warner Brothers, I had said at the beginning, had initially bankrolled it. When they saw the first, like, 15 minutes that they'd done, yeah. they were like, no, 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 <laughs> no, they, they we're out. <laughs> Bye. So they ended up getting some independent producers to, to help them out with that. Interesting. Okay, so that's that's a that's a Bakshi movie. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's his first foray into, into things. He goes off, he, like, I don't know if anyone saw the Lord of the Rings animated film that came out in, like, 1978 or 79. Right. Um, that's a Ralph Bakshi. Uh, the movie Wizards came and, out in the 70s. 
Bakshi. And the Lord of the Rings movie, and I, I'm not sure about um, I'm not sure about his other films. I haven't watched all, mm-hmm. all of them, but I know I know Lord of the Rings for sure introduces, or maybe not introduces, but deals with that uh, his new style of animation, which is the rotoscoping. Yeah, it, it was a new old style, a new old style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, rotoscoping, which happens to be basically actually filming live actors. And then animating over them, using their emotion and animating to that cell by cell. Right, and it's 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 a real uncanny valley, strange thing to yeah, look at. Yeah, I I mean I think it it's really neat to look at, but I also I don't like looking at it. I I like it. I think I find yeah. it. I find it. You know what? Because I've watched a lot of animation from from th- that era, and when I see the rotoscope stuff. It makes it feel a little bit more like I'm watching a free flowing, easy to watch movie. Yeah. So I think, what's the other one we wanted to talk about today? Uh, American Pop. It's a good juxtaposition to our Fritz the Cat. It's certainly, he's grown a lot. Oh my gosh, yeah. So so Ralph Bakshi, just to give you, a, so he, he did Wizards, he did Lord of the Rings, uh, did a few films. He, I don't know if you remember in the 90s, he also did Cool World. Yeah. Uh, you mean Bad Roger Rabbit? Bad Roger Rabbit, <laughs> Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt instead of, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins. Yeah, <laughs> who's amazing. So good. So, like, this is like it's a long career because you got to remember he's even in the '60s he was working for Jerry Tunes, right? Who did like Heckle and Jekyll, yeah, Mighty Mouse, some of those. That's where he like that's where he learned to animate, right? So long history. American Pop comes out in 1982. Yeah, and this is. Definitely a more nuanced film. Definitely not the same kind of. Uh, well, it's not trying jerk to. Off fest yeah, it's or not. It's nothing making. like that. Yeah, it's a, it's you know I I got stoned and watched this one right after Fritz, Fritz the Cat too. Oh, you did your homework. I'm glad I, I did. And uh, I had seen American Pop years ago again. It's one mm-hmm. of those ones that years ago. Loved rewatching it this time. It's mm-hmm. it's basically like a bunch of Scorsese movies. Oh, yeah. It's all Scorsese style. It's basically, <laughs> I mean, to give you the plot synopsis, it's about um, one family, a Jewish family, a Russian-Jewish immigrant family, uh, starting with um, their great-grandfather, Zalmi, coming to America and uh, growing up wanting to be a singer and an entertainer. Yeah. And it goes through four generations of this family who all have very tragic stories uh, with a similar uh, apparent want to entertain, like they're musicians, they they love the music, they love to be on stage, they love that lifestyle. Yeah. <clears throat> so that movie definitely has a ton of rotoscoping, um, and I think done in a much better way than some of the scenes in Wizards and Lord of the Rings. Absolutely, I was gonna say like when I first watched the Lord of the Rings, Bakshi movie. I, like the rotoscoping, it's it's kind of garbage. Like a lot of it's almost like they just uh, inverted the footage itself instead of animating yeah. it, and it's like just guys dressed as orcs running through, and it's like I don't like that. It Where they just all, the only thing animated really is the glowing eyes. Yeah, that exactly. They put on them. And it's yeah. like I don't, I don't, I don't dig that. But American Pop, the, the rotoscoping in that is so it's really surreal. It was mm-hmm. fluid, and I really enjoyed watching mm-hmm. it. I like that movie qu- quite a bit. I really, I really like the flow of it. So Ralph says like this is him doing something that's actually more of like to his own heart uh, reflection on the way he has felt about uh, his own upbringing and his 
relationship to art and music. Um, not it's not autobiographical in any ways, but yeah, this is like definitely this is this was his uh, opus. Yeah, for him. So, I mean, this movie starts out with uh, with Zalmi in like 1890 fleeing Russia. Yeah, he's got he, his father's a rabbi. His father gets actually killed by the Cossacks um, as they flee. Uh, comes to the United States. Uh, at some point, his mom dies, but he he basically is raised sitting in the back of the cabarets or the burlesque shows. Um, wants to be a singer. Yeah. Um, ends up actually going and doing the tours out. World War One hits. Ends up going well, out and actually yeah, entertaining the troops. Gets taken out under there. that guy's wing and yeah. Um, at some point, he gets a, a vocal injury. He gets it in the in he gets it in World War One. Yeah, gets, World War One. Yeah, and uh, can't sing anymore. So all of his hopes about singing are gone. Gets a real voice like this. Yeah, so he comes back, uh, ends up uh, basically meeting a stripper and marrying a stripper. He vows to basically make like she. He sees all the the talent she has and vows to make her a star. Ends up getting involved with the mafia, get loans. Pays for his wedding on a mafioso's uh, loans, um, and and then has a son named Benny. You know what I gotta say? I gotta say the first part of American Pop mm-hmm. actually is really Sergio Leone. Oh yeah, it's like Once Upon a Time in America. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's it really flows through that kind of mm-hmm. that kind of style, and then it then it goes into it goes into Scorsese, Wait, though, Scorsese on the first. I don't. Oh, well, that's hey. a good thing to look up. Look this up, there, Mister Google Master Nick. We need to know what year did Once Upon a Time in America come out. I mean, we can't necessarily say that there was comparisons because someone saw one story. I mean, this story's been written a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a it is we'll, a we'll, classic. Nineteen eighty four. Eighty four. So definitely, Scorsese stuff came out way before that. Once Upon a Time in America came out in 84. Actually, yeah, that's way later than I thought that came out. I thought that was a 70s movie. Oh, no, because sure. James Woods was fairly old. Oh, you and know. you know what? And Jennifer Connelly's in it. Oh, yeah, young Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When a lot of these films take place, like when you have people in the in the 50s, 60s writing these stories, you got to think their generations don't go that far back. I mean, are they their parents literally were the immigrants yeah. coming here. So the, there's... A lot of that is highlighted in literature and films, poetry, uh, that idea of a, a misplaced identity coming to a new place. Yeah. You know? So American Pop starts with that and then basically takes you through through history, talking about the, the, the different uh, attitudes, the different, uh, well, the music itself. Yeah. So I, wanna, I don't want to actually like, give you a breakdown of the entire film because you've seen it. Yeah. And if you, haven't, home, seen if you it. haven't seen it, you should go see it. But one of the, one of, one thing that I is a gripping and like really sad part of many sad parts in this film. Oh yeah, is Benny. Yeah, he's Zalmi's son. Uh, Benny ends up actually going to World War II. That's his generation. Yeah. Um, as he's grown up, he's uh, he's learned to play jazz piano, and he ends up. Uh, basically in World War II and comes across a derelict piano and sits down and starts to play. I'm not sure what song he was playing. I don't know if it was a standard, but uh, what you see is a German soldier there who is 
eyes are closed and is listening to this music. Sneak kind of sneaking up behind yeah, him. Yeah, sneaking up yeah. behind him, but like he's he's not going to he's not going to stop him cuz he the, the music he's playing is beautiful. He knows he's about to so, die. But he plays the song. He plays the song finishes, for the soldier who's about to kill him and finishes it. Yeah. And then the soldier is like, you know, eyes open up again and then I think he says Donka. He even yeah. thanks him. Yeah. Thank thank you and yeah. like he's dead. Yeah. Shoots him. That's a great scene. It really is. Yeah. Because you're also like, are they going to bridge the gap? Because the music is going to allow them to communicate across across borders. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Nope. Nope. (laughs) No, not at all. Yeah, it was a good movie. Yeah, totally solid. Yeah, I wanted to take us through some of the 70s stuff. We're going to go backwards and forwards a little bit in this series. To cover it all. That's a good juxtaposition, though. Yeah, I mean, it's a good one because early Bakshi versus later Bakshi. It is, yeah, because things really changed, and then I don't know what Cool World was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that animation style was like, I mean, leaps and bounds better than the stuff he was doing before. Oh yeah, for it, sure. It, it is just fascinating. At it's the same, so nice. you know what? A lot. Of, there's a lot of criticism though that he didn't grow enough as an animator. A lot of people said, "Ah, oh, he was stuck with the old techniques," because remember, there's there's. Uh, Japanese animations coming out in the 70s then too and doing some amazing new stuff. Right. We're not going to really, really touch. I mean, there's if you if we want to talk about adult animation in a, in Japanese anime and the history of that. <laughs> yeah, we're not. That's a whole that's a whole devoted podcast for a couple seasons. We'll keep this to North America. Yeah, we're going to keep this to North America, maybe deviate a little bit to, for contrast, but n- no focus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this has been a good conversation. Good conversation. A good first opener for this series. Yeah. Thanks for uh, listening to this BB. Have a good day. Hey, all you cool cat listeners out there. I just want to extend a warm welcome to our speedy BBs. How how about it? Take a take a listen. Why don't you come over for a quickie with the babies? <laughs> uh, I really like these voices. I'm considering just using this as our voice from now on when we interview people. Yeah. I just sound good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, eventually... Eventually we'll hit puberty and we'll sound like this anyways. <laughs> um, and-